so today's the final message in our series, Jesus All Grown Up. Uh, it's a series that we started literally right after Christmas, and we've said it every week. We started because uh, at Christmas, we spent our time looking at the baby in the manger, and we said, but that's only the beginning of the story. Um, you know, Jesus didn't stay as a baby in a manger. We're not a Christian church. We're not uh, followers of Jesus because of a baby in a manger, but because of a man. And so, you know, what did that baby grow up to be? And that's what this series has been all about, looking at the, the key things that made Jesus, Jesus, the, the big ideas, the, 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 the big things that Jesus taught um, again and again. You know, there's all sorts of things that he said, but there were, there were key recurring themes that Jesus kept coming back to and that his followers, the people that we call the early church, those first Christians that, that, that I guess kind of birthed uh, the church following the life of Jesus, the things that they held to and that were really important to them because they were the things that Jesus had taught them. And we've looked at things like uh, the, the things that Jesus taught about how, uh, how Jesus saw God, um, how, how Jesus uh, encouraged us to see one another, um, how God sees us. What happens after we die? Last week, we talked about the idea of Messiah, um, which is a, a weird old kind of Bible word, but it's a really important word to Jesus. He talked about it a lot. And so we talked about you know, what that meant and, uh, and what church looked like um, and what our lives looked like in, in light of this idea, Jesus talking so much about this idea of Messiah. But we're going to wrap up this series today talking about sort of what we do with all of this. You know, because um, maybe you've listened to all of these messages, whether that's been online or, or, or here in person or, or however many of them you've listened to. Maybe you've listened to this and, and you believe in some of this stuff. You've gone, yeah, I, I get that. It makes sense. I understand and I, I believe what Jesus says. And, and, and you might even be saying, look, as a result, I want to follow Jesus. I want to, you know, I, I get it. You know, I, I understand what he's calling and I want to do that. But how does all of that come together in 21st century living? You know, how do we take all of those, what for us are sort of ancient teachings um, and sort of ancient ideas, and, and how do we live that out and transfer that into schools and workplaces and homes and, and families here in the 21st century? What do we, how do we actually live in light of all this teaching? Um, if you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, if you if you say in your mind, in your heart, that you want to follow him, what do you actually have to do? You know, what, what should life look like from Monday uh, to Saturday? You know, when, as I said, when you're in your, your home and your workplace and you're amongst your neighbours and you're going to the shops and doing all of those things. The good news is that in answer to that question, Jesus was really clear. Um, Jesus was crystal clear in terms of the way that life should look for a follower of Jesus. Jesus grew up with uh, what we call the Old Testament in our Bibles. Um, of course, they weren't the Old Testament to Jesus. They were just the scriptures because there was no New Testament that was sort of still being lived out. So what you look at as the Old Testament in your Bible, they were in a slightly different order, but they were the scriptures. That was uh, the written word of God as Jesus understood it. And the Old Testament scriptures were super practical in terms of how you lived. Um, they listed all of the things you did in several places, listed all of the things that you had to do 
to be right with God. All of the commands that God said, you should live this way. And, uh, uh, and the people of the Old Testament, the people of that time, the, the people um, uh, prior to Jesus and who were living in the time of Jesus, they believed that the way that you live a life that pleased God, the way that you lived a good life, was to keep all of these laws and commands. Which sort of makes sense, doesn't it? You know, God tells you what to do and you do it. And that, I guess, sort of makes God happy. And, um, you know, by, by implication, if God's happy, then you'll be happy and things will go all right for you, right? It, it sort of made sense to people. And I guess when you say it like that, it sounds an okay way to live. Except that the people of that time had a lot of commands and laws. Um, in fact, 613 different commands and laws in that what we call that Old Testament. Um, 613 different rules for living life. 613 uh, different commands from God as to how you should live and what you should do. And some of you right now are thinking, and that's why I'm not a Christian. Because uh, no one wants to live a life just following 613 rules, right? Others of you are thinking, well, I kind of want to be a Christian, but man, how am I ever going to remember 613 rules? You know, I struggle to remember all the road rules. Uh, how am I going to remember 613 rules for living? The message from today, the message for today is don't panic, there's good news. Because Jesus says again and again that he came to do something new. He didn't come to sort of just continue things the way that they were. Jesus says he came to do something brand new. And out of, uh, out of Jesus' teaching uh, emerged new rules, new ways of living. Out of Jesus' teaching came new ways for the people of God to live with God and to live amongst one another. And in fact, Jesus took all of those rules... And he would say, as crazy as it sounds, Jesus would say, I'm going to take all of those rules and I'm going to summarise all that I've come to teach in just one rule. So if you're one of those people worried about the 613, I've got good news for you. Uh, Jesus rewrites 613 into one. John remembers teaching uh, Jesus teaching that one rule this way. John 13, 34, for those of you who are taking notes. Jesus said, a new command I give you. Not a same old one. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus says, this is my command. This is my one command for my followers. In fact, this is how people will know you're my followers, by the way that you love others. Jesus came to launch a new movement, a new way to relate to God, a new way to live, and it's centred around this one word, love. Love God and love others. Matthew remembers teaching it to one particular guy this way. Matthew twenty two thirty five, an expert of the law, expert in the law, right? So someone who understood and actually remembered all 613 of those. That's what this means, right? A guy who was a teacher in that. An expert in the law 
tested Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Good question, right? There's 613. Which is your number one? Which do you think is the one that's most important? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets. Law and the prophets is a way to summarise those 613, right? That's, that's what they called them. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. And I want to say, when Jesus talks about first and second, he's not talking about sort of first importance and second importance. It, it, it'd be more like us saying the first part and the second part, right? It, it, it's, it's one command. He's like saying, this is, this is sort of the first part of it and the second part of it. It's interesting. Jesus is actually quoting two of those Old Testament commands there, two of those 613. Jesus is, is quoting both of those, but he's linking them in a way that as best as we know, no one had ever linked them before. No one had ever taken the command to love God and the command to love others and put them together in that way. In the old system, uh, people kept rules and they kept laws uh, to show that you loved God. That was the way that you showed that you loved God by keeping all the, all the laws. Tick, 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 tick. This is how much I love God. And Jesus sort of, if you like, he rewrites that and he says, you can't love God if you don't love others. By putting these two things together, Jesus is saying, it's no longer just about love God and one of the things is. He's putting these two things together in a way that says, for my followers... Loving others is loving God. Do you see the connection? And this new command changed everything. John remembers Jesus unpacking this command like this. Uh, one day he says, As the Father, talking about his Father in heaven, God the Father, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you remain in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be complete, right? Joy may be complete. In other words, you know, that, that I'll be happy that this is kind of what I came to do. I told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. And I want to say, these weren't just interesting philosophical ideas. These weren't just sort of interesting ideas. The first followers of Jesus centred their lives around this. This new command to love became, if you like, the driving force behind the early church. 15 to 20 years after the life of Jesus, um, Paul writes to the church in Galatia. And we've got a copy of the letter that he wrote. It's the book of Galatians uh, in our Bible. And Paul would write this. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Don't you love it when people start talking about circumcision? <laughs> I'm going to get to this. Uh, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Listen. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Now, 
this doesn't, we don't think like this. But for the people of Jesus' time, circumcision was the sign, the physical sign, that they were God's people. Right? It was like, you know, kind of wearing the brand, having the tattoo. It was the thing that said, I'm part of this tribe. And, and in the, if you like, in the, in the old system, um, which people in the Bible called the Old Covenant, we call it the Old Testament. All those things kind of uh, mean the same thing. In, in the old system of things, circumcision was a sign that you were in with God. It was a sign that those 613 laws were for you and that you were for them. And so when they talked about circumcision, circumcision was like that word was like a shorthand for the relationship that God had with his people. Right. So when you read the word circumcision, they're not talking so much about the whole physical act and we don't want to go there and, you know, visual people. Right. It's not that it's kind of shorthand to say this is the relationship. This is how it all works between us and God. So when Paul uses the word circumcision here, what he's saying is that all of the stuff of that old system, all of those 613 laws and the sacrifices and everything that went with them, none of that counts anymore. The only thing that's left standing, the only thing that counts for a follower of Jesus is faith expressing itself through love. Paul goes on to say, still in Galatians, same chapter, he goes on to write, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free But do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. The flesh means kind of like your own desires, you know, your own thing, like doing sort of what pleases me, saying you're free, but don't use your freedom to do that stuff for you. He says, rather serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law, all those 630, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's from Galatians 5. Paul is being as clear as he knows how when he says the entire law, everything that you've seen before, everything for those people, everything that you've grown up with, everything that's been been taught to you for generations and generations, all of that stuff is fulfilled in keeping Jesus' one command. It's like saying you can take all 613 of those laws and you can give every one of them a tick if you'll keep this one command to love your neighbour as yourself. James was all over this too. And when he writes, he writes, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you're doing right. Seven to eight years after this, Paul would write a letter to the church in Rome. Same things coming through in what he's writing to them. Uh, Romans 13, starting at verse 8. Whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not cover. And whatever other commands there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of of the law. There's that idea again, the fulfillment of the law. He's saying, remember all those old laws? And he quotes a few of them, you know, you shouldn't murder, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. He says, Jesus' followers can sum up 
all of those laws in this one law, love one another. Because it makes sense. What he's saying is like, is if you love one another, you're not going to murder. If you love one another, if you love one another, you're not going to steal. If you love one another, you're not going to lie. If you like, do, do you see? That's what he's saying. If you'll do those things, this is Jesus' teaching. If you'll love one another, everything else will kind of take care of itself. Okay, okay. So I get it. But what does that kind of love look like? It's, it's fine to say love one another, but what's the standard? What's the actual standard, the, the expectation? You know, what does that actually look like to love one another? Well, John tells us that Jesus was super clear on that too. Because Jesus says, love each other as I have loved you. Jesus says, I'm your example. I'm going to show you how you should love one another. I'm going to love you the way that I want you to love one another. Paul explains this to the Philippian church when he writes a letter to them, uh, Philippians uh, chapter 2, where Paul writes, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with others, listen to this, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Paul says that love values others above ourselves. Love doesn't look to our own interests, it looks to the interests of others. And he says, and, and, and you should have the same mindset, like the same attitude that Jesus had. And he goes on and he says, Jesus was God in heaven. And he gave that up, he gave up his place as God in heaven to come to earth and to be made as a man. It says, like in human likeness, to literally be born as a person, and not just any person, but as a poor peasant kind of person. It's his way of saying, look what Jesus gave up. Right? I have the same mindset as Jesus, and look what Jesus gave up. Like no one's going to give up more than kind of stepping off the throne of heaven and coming to earth to be born as a poor man. He said, but Jesus didn't stop there. He said he was obedient to, he was even willing to be tortured and executed by crucifixion. That's how much he loved you. That's Jesus' example, that he would step off his throne in heaven that he would come to earth and then while he was here, he would be tortured and executed. Jesus dies on a cross and says, here's my example. Here's what it means to really love others. And Jesus and Paul and John and Peter and James would all write that that is the standard that's the expectation. That's the benchmark. That's how followers of Jesus love others. 
Paul would explain it to the Ephesian church like this. He would say, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger and brawling and slander and all forms of malice. Get rid of all that stuff. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as Christ, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. And walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. To the Roman church, Paul would write, be devoted to one another in love, honour one another above yourselves. Some versions of your Bibles will say, outdo one another showing honour. He's saying, make it like a competition between yourselves to see who can honour the other person the most. It's a race to see who can give the most honour. I know this is kind of a lot of Bible and we don't usually kind of go through this much Bible, but I want you to see how absolutely central this is to the writers of the New Testament, how absolutely central this is to the new church. For these followers of Jesus, love wasn't one thing to do on a long list of things. Love wasn't something that you did for some people some of the time. This command to love others was everything to them. They loved God by loving others. And Jesus says, if you listen to me, if you listen to all the things that I've said, and if you want to follow me, there's only one command for my followers, love. Love God and love one another and love one another the way that I have loved you. And I want you to see that his followers did that. They did that. They kept talking about that to one another. They all repeatedly write that love's the central command and that Jesus is the standard for how we love. If you want to follow Jesus, love one another. And I get, now this is what happens now. You say, Matt, that's easy to say, but it's hard to do, right? That's what everyone says, right? That's what I'm supposed to say at this point. Well, here's what I'm going to say. That's true, But it's also not true at the same time. right? I've been thinking about this. It's actually not hard to know what to do to love others, is it? I mean, that's why Jesus says you love others the way you love yourself. It's not hard to know how to love others. You only have to think, how would I like people to love me in this moment? And we all know what that looks like. You know, would I want people to speak kindly to me? We'll do that. Would I want people to listen to my side and to understand my perspective on things? Do that. Would I want people to to give me a break and give me some grace when I make a mistake? Do that. Would I want people to consider my needs and, you know, not just look out for their own, but think about what I need in a situation? Do that. It's, It's not hard to know what to do, let's be honest. And actually, it's also not hard to do it. As in, it's not actually hard to take the actions that we need to take to love. I mean, Jesus isn't asking you to climb a wall or to run a marathon. He's asking you to be kind and generous. 
to put others first. And in most cases, those actions are actually really easy to do. It's not hard to know what to do. It's not hard to actually take the action that we need to love others. If we're really honest, it's hard because we don't want to do it. That's the hard part. It's hard because we're so used to putting ourselves first. We're so used to looking after ourselves. I mean, think about it. It's just as easy to spend money on someone else as it is to spend on you. But the hard part is that we don't want to do it. Oh, if I give this person money, then I've got to give that person money and then someone else will expect money and, and, and you know, then people will take advantage of me. And, you know, we go through all that thing. It's not a hard to let the car in traffic who's, you know, kind of stuck there in a merge lane, is it? You just stop and they go. Right, but it's hard because we say to ourselves, well, if I let this car in, then another car's going to sneak in and then another car. Now I've got four cars in front of me and I'm already five minutes late. And, all right. Some people are feeling really guilty right now. I don't know why that is. Well, what am I talking about? It's hard because we don't want to do it. It's not hard to be kind on social media. Just say nice stuff and don't say other stuff. But it's hard because we don't want to do it. That person just needs needs to hear this, you know? I can't let them get away with that. I can't let that person say that to me. It's not hard to know what to do to love others. It's not hard to do it. It's hard because we are hardwired for selfishness and for greed and for me. And the hard part is making the decision to put others first. So how do we do that? You know, how do we change that thing that is so deep in me and is so deep in you? And I want to suggest this morning that the first step is that we need to own it. We need to be honest and admit that we are selfish. And that's a horrible thing to say. Feels kind of weird to say that, but we need to be honest and to say that we don't want to love others as much as we want to love ourselves. And I was like, well, that's harsh, Matt. I'm a good person. I think about others. We need to be honest enough to say, no, you're not, and no, you don't. <laughs> you're a mess. I'm a mess. I'm selfish. I'm greedy. I'm a, I'm a self-righteous person. I want to put me first, and I want other people to look after me. And that's the truth about me, and it's the truth about you. And we need to admit that we're a sinner in need of a saviour. We need to admit that I'm no good without the goodness of God, without the goodness of God and the grace of Jesus in me. Until you admit that you're broken, Jesus can never fix you. And I'm not talking about broken like there's a little chip off me or a couple of rough edges that need to be sanded. I'm talking about the kind of brokenness that only gets fixed by throwing the whole thing away and starting again. I'm talking about the kind of brokenness that made Paul write, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
the old is gone and the new is here. It's Paul recognising that the only way forward for us is to become something completely new. The old has to completely go and be replaced with something. And this is what Jesus promises and offers us, that he will replace the old with something brand, brand new. Because once you throw away the old self, once you are broken enough to be made brand new with Jesus, only then will you be in a place where you can follow Jesus as deeply as he's asking you to. Only when you're made new in Jesus will you be ready to ask, what does it look like to love others as Jesus has loved me around my house today? In traffic as I drive to work. In the meeting that I've got at work today with that really annoying person that I know is going to rub me up the wrong way. On social media. Living in the street that I live in. For some of us, living in the family that I live in. We get so easily confused about what God wants for us and we end up having conversations about uh, you know, where does God want me to live and what job does he want me to do and who does he want me to marry. And I want to tell you as clearly as I can that God's first calling on your life, I don't know much about you, but I do know this that God's first calling on your life has nothing to do with the job that you do, the place that you live and the person that you marry. That God's first calling on your life is for you to love one another. That is the life calling of a follower of Jesus. And that's, it sounds crazy, but that's way more important than the stuff that we get all hung up on. You know, jobs and careers and, and, and you know, oh, God, God wants me to take this holiday. Oh, I'm not saying he doesn't, but God wants you to love one another as he has loved you. And if this is starting to sound a bit full on, it is. If this is starting to sound a bit like, well, this is going to take me a lot of time. Yes, it will. If this is starting to sound like, well, this could cost me money. This could cost me a lot of money. Yes, it should. And this is the decision that you have to make. Because you can listen to this whole series and you can nod in agreement. Yeah, 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 I believe that about Jesus. You can say you like Jesus. You can even say, I love Jesus. But Jesus himself would say, I want you to follow me. And that's the hardest part of the decision. That's the hard part. You can say you like anyone. You can say you love anyone. You can say you believe in anyone. The hard part is to say, do you want to follow Jesus? Do you want to love others, all others? Do you want to love others the way that Jesus loved others, the way that Jesus loved you? And while you're thinking about that, let me, remind you, let me remind you that this is the way that the Jesus movement changed the world. The Jesus movement, which we often call the church, but it is originally the Jesus movement, 
The Jesus movement didn't grow from a handful of poor, uneducated peasants in the Middle East somewhere. It didn't grow from that little group of 120 people to something that literally overtook the entire Roman Empire. It didn't do that with convincing argument. It didn't do that with books and podcasts. It certainly didn't do that by preaching some kind of judgment on people and telling them all the things that they've done wrong. The Jesus movement grew because followers of Jesus loved others. Followers of Jesus decided to put the needs of others before their own needs. Followers of Jesus decided to sacrifice their time for other people. Followers of Jesus decided to sacrifice their energy for other people. Followers of Jesus decided to give and to sacrifice their money for other people. Followers of Jesus decided even to sacrifice their lives for other people. You say, why would you do that? Why would you give up your own life? And they would say to you, well, that's what Jesus did. And I'm just going to follow his example. Followers of Jesus loved others the way that Jesus loved them. And this is going to sound awfully cheesy, but that kind of love literally changed the world. So there's really no other way that we could wrap up this series talking about the man that the baby Jesus grew up to be than by talking about his command to his church to love one another. Because as I said, I'm not trying to sound hard, it actually doesn't matter what you think about Jesus. It actually doesn't matter if you say you believe in Jesus. As Paul would say, if he were here, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Thinking about Jesus didn't change the world. Believing in Jesus didn't change the world. Not even loving Jesus changed the world. Following Jesus' commands to love one another. As I have loved you, love one another. That's what changed the world. And it's what continues to change the world to this day. In Jesus' own words, this is how people will know that you're my disciple. This is the sign. And this is what it means to follow the man that the baby Jesus grew up to be. 